But I, I wanted to share a message today with you that uh, really God put on my heart this past week, which by the way, I just want to say thank you all for praying for us, for my son Joel. Um, he's out of the hospital. He's home. He's doing good. Thank you. I told, I told my wife the other day when we got the like release date, I felt like we we're getting out of prison. Like we got, we're out. And so uh, I said, she said, man, Joel's so giddy. I said, yeah, but is he as giddy as you are? Because <laughs> my wife was really excited to be home. And uh, how many know seven days in an ICU make you crazy? And uh, I was seeing things. It was just crazy. It was, I wasn't, I'm joking. And so, but uh, we're glad to be home. So thanks for praying for us and uh, excited to be, much rather be in church than be in a hospital. But it's, uh, it's good to be here, and I, I wanted to share today just kind of um, uh, a single message. Uh, I normally teach series, that's usually what I do. Uh, I love teaching over the span of a number of weeks, but today I just felt like I really wanted to, just, to share uh, something that's just kind of been on my heart, and really a word that I feel like, if Jesus was here physically, here at OSC, and he could share a message with you, I feel like this would be the message that he would share with our church. And so this is how important this is for us as a church. And I just want to, I want you to hear me on this. Because I feel like if, if God could tell us something that he wanted us to know as a church, this is the reminder that he would tell us. And so we're going to look at a, a, at a passage in John chapter 4 of an interaction that Jesus has with a woman at a well. Now most of us probably know this story, and let me just kind of set it up for you just for a moment. Jesus and his disciples have been touring. They've been doing ministry all over. God's been using them in phenomenal ways, and man, they're just exhausted. Um, it's been like, it's, it's been like church service after church service after church service, and they're just kind of coming to the end of their tour. And they're heading back home, and Beginning of John chapter 4 says that Jesus said, we have to go through Samaria. Now, you have to understand how big of a deal that is because Jewish people and Samaritans really did not get along. It was, it was a very big racial tension that actually happened uh, between Jews and Samaritans. It's a lot like even some of the racial tensions that we have in our day and age. But how many of you know, I love Jesus because Jesus shows up right up in the tension of it all. How many of you glad Jesus breaks the racial barrier? Boom! Like that. How many of you know a church should look like heaven? And, uh, and I tell people all the time, man, if you don't like black people, you ain't going to like heaven. Um, if you don't like any other races or nationalities or anything, you ain't going to like heaven. That's going to be full of them. Jesus is going to be like, surprise, <laughs> they're not all white. <laughs> and so, anyways, God shows up, and, and, and Jesus shows up on the scene, and right there in the middle has this conversation with this Samaritan woman. Now, it was already a big deal that a Jewish man was not only talking to a Samaritan, but he was talking to a woman. Because back in those days, Jewish men thought they were superior than even women. And how many know yet again, Jesus shows up and he breaks the, the uh, gender barrier and says, no, 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 no. I mean, the people that, that Jesus broke down the barriers, racial, gender, and age, because even kids were coming to him. So Jesus shows up on the scene and does that. So anyways, they're having this conversation. He's having this conversation with this woman, and he says, hey, would you give me a drink of water? And so they're having this, this conversation, and, 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 and he says, ultimately, she says, well, I, I can, I can, and all this. And he says, well, I, I have a drink that I could give you that you could never thirst again. I have living water. And she says, give me some of that. That's the PJ translation, but it's around like just like that. Give me some of that. And he said, well, why don't you go get your husband and bring him to me and I'll show you. And she says, well, I'm not married. And then he says, yeah, you're exactly right. Because you had five husbands and now you're shacking up with somebody else. And she was like, uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, no, when Jesus has got your number. <laughs> and this is what she says. I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> 
Yes, he was. And, uh, and so sure enough, he has this interaction with this woman, and she, she has this God moment. Really, it's a God moment. In the midst of all of her dysfunction and relational baggage, Jesus shows up right there, and they're having this really intimate moment of her really honestly understanding what salvation in the gospel is. So she's having this conversation with Jesus. Now, what I failed to tell you was that the disciples were off on a Chick-fil-A run, okay? They went to go get some lunch, okay? So they were, come on, how many know because Chick-fil-A is God's place, okay? Chicken biscuit and chicken, uh, that's where it's at, okay? So just want to let you know. Um, that's why I closed on Sundays. <laughs> Y'all ever driven up to a Chick-fil-A on a Sunday? Like, dang it, man. <laughs> so anyway, so I've done it a lot of times. And so this, so the guys are off getting food, Jesus is having this moment with this woman. The guys are on their way back, okay? So I'm just setting up the scene here. Guys are on their way back. All right, so let's catch up to it. John chapter 4, here we go. It says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised. Of course, why were they surprised? Because he's, he's talking to a, to a woman. He's talking to a woman. What in the world? And a Samaritan woman on top of all that. But I love this. I love how John says this. No one asked. So John's about to give us an insight into what happens but actually doesn't happen. So John's about to tell us what's going on in their head, but nobody said it out loud. And here's, here's what they're thinking. No one asked it, but everybody's thinking, what do you want? And why are you talking to her? What's going on here? The next verse says, watch, then leaving her water jug. So now the woman is off. She's going back to the town. She goes back to the town and she says to the people, so now, okay, cut scene, Take away from Jesus. Now we're cutting scene. We're following her. She's going back to the town. She's on the way to town, and she sees all her people. Hey, hey, what's up, Jay? What's up, girl? She's seeing all of her friends and all of her family and all this stuff, and she's going, hey, I got to tell you something. Watch. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come on, I mean, no, that's pretty cool. Come see a guy who knows everything about me. Could this be the Messiah? So she has now stirred up so much interest from these people that the people say, let's go. So they come out of the town and they've made their way towards Jesus. Okay, so is everybody caught up to the place where we're at? She goes back into town, gets all the interest. Hey, this guy told me everything. Hey, if you want your fortune read, this guy's the best in the biz. All right, so grabs all these people from the town. Who knows if it's 20s, 30s, 100s. We don't know how many people. The Bible's not as descriptive. But we know that the whole town, a good bit of them, are coming with her towards Jesus. Cut scene. Go back to Jesus and his disciples. They're having a conversation. Watch. Here's the next scene. It says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Eat something. But he said to them, I already ate. And they're thinking, what the heck? We went to Chick-fil-A for nothing for you? You already ate. He said, yeah. And they think, well, could someone have brought him some food? The next verse says, watch. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to, everybody say these three words, and to finish, and to finish his work. To finish his work. My job is to finish his work. So Jesus takes a, a topic that they're on, talking about food, and he always puts some spiritual truth in it. He says, you're, you're talking about food. I'm going to talk to you about a food that maybe you're not thinking about, but I'm thinking about. And that is, we got work to do. Guys, I'm glad you brought the Chick-fil-A. I know, it's good, but we got work to do. We got work to do. 
they're consumed with what they want to eat. Hey, it's getting cold. Jesus, let's, let's have a burger or something. And he's going, no, guys, we got work to do. Why? Because when you look up, what's happening? The, the people are coming, right? This, G, John is giving us descriptive um, uh, uh, storytelling of what's happening. All these people are on their way. People are coming. Jesus is with the disciples. They're having this conversation. And Jesus goes, bro, y'all worried about food? Look, watch. Then he tells them this. And here's where we're getting. Don't you have this saying that it is still four months until harvest? I tell you. Everybody say these three words. I tell you. Say it again. Look at somebody next to you. Tell them. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Okay, you can sleep at home. Okay, open your eyes. Watch. Open your eyes and look at the fields for they are ripe for harvest. Now he's going to give a different analogy. He's going to give an agricultural analogy. But hey, man, open your eyes. Open your eyes. If Jesus was here today and he had one message for our church, I think it would be open your eyes. Open your eyes. See, these guys were so consumed with what they wanted to eat that they were failing to miss the point that there were all these people on their way to come and be with them. See, they were all consumed about their belly. Jesus was all consumed about his father's business. Are y'all with me here? So he's telling them, open your eyes, open your eyes. Now, how many of you in here, by show of hands, either wear glasses or contacts? Raise your hand. Oh my goodness, we're all blind. Look at this. Dear, put your hand back up. Look around. Oh my goodness, none of us can see. 1115, what's going on? We have a healing service after. Okay, we're all blind. Wow, that's a lot of people. So I don't know if you remember the first time you went to the optometrist. I remember mine. It, 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 it shaped my life for the rest. I, 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 uh, I was having a hard time seeing road signs. That's how I was going. I could see stop signs, okay, so don't freak out. I could see stop signs and stop lights. I couldn't see road signs. And I couldn't see, like, um, like, when I was watching TV and watching, like, sports and the scores, I'd always ask, like, hey, what's the score? And my mom would be like, you can't see that? And I'm like, no, I was just asking you just to see if you knew what the score was. I played it off for a little while, and she was like, you got to get your eyes checked. So I went to an optometrist, and, of course, the optometrist did not tell me anything of what was happening. He just started the process. How many of you have been, I mean, well, I'm not even going to ask how many of you have been. All of you have been, it seems like, to the optometrist. You get there, and they put your little chin up on that thing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And then they, they open your eyes, and they're like, all right, open up. And then he's like, <laughs> And they don't even warn a brother. I mean, they don't warn nothing. They just blow in your eye. Like, what's that? It's a glaucoma test. Okay, I can't see now. I mean, I thought I couldn't see before. They're dropping, they're dilating your eyes. I mean, they're doing all this stuff. And then, and then they're wanting you to, like, look at a wall and look at letters. And then they're, like, putting these little things. And they're like, A or B, A or B, A or B. And you're like, I don't know. A, I don't know. It all looks the same. I don't know. A or B, A or B. And you're like, I don't know. Just get a tic-tac and get away from me. I was, this is where, y'all don't, you know what I'm talking about? They're, like, right up on you. And they're, like, looking through it. You know what I'm saying? It's, like, weird. Anyways, so the, so the guy leaves, and he comes back, and he said, all right, Josh, I think we know what the problem is. You're nearsighted. I said, well, I'm here to tell you, you got it wrong. I'm not nearsighted. I can't see far. He said, exactly. I said, what kind of place is this? What do you mean? He said, you're nearsighted. I said, no, you got it wrong. I can't see far. He said, I'm telling you, exactly. That's what we call it, nearsighted. I said, how screwed up is that? That's like me going into the doctor and saying, my foot hurts. And he goes, your arm's good. 
Well, I know my arm's good. My foot hurts. Yeah, but your arm's good. We're calling it your arm is good, but it actually means your foot hurts. Okay, that makes no sense, but all right. Optometry is so weird. So they, they all those switched up. So I found out that I'm nearsighted, that I can't, I can see close, I can read well, I can see the first couple of rows, but if I take my glasses off, it starts getting pretty blurry down the road. I think the same thing is not only a physical condition, I think nearsightedness is a spiritual condition as well. I think there are a lot of Christians that can see this, but can't see this. We see what God's doing here. We see what God, we want God to do for me. We just can't see what God wants to do through me for other people. We can't see anybody else because we're so consumed with me. And I think spiritual nearsightedness is what can destroy churches, can destroy people because we are so stuck on seeing us. Because here's why it's so important for you to understand what you see. You can't reach people that you can't see. And there's a reason why we don't like seeing things because as soon as you see something, now you're responsible for it. You ever like ask your kids like, you didn't see that mess on the ground? And they're like, no, I didn't see nothing. You know they just walked, they did this. Right? But they want to act like they didn't see it because if they saw it, then they would have to clean it up. Yeah, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. You ever been like in traffic, you're trying to get into a, uh, you know, you're trying to get out of traffic, maybe, maybe you're in an aisle lane and you're trying to get into the traffic flow and you're trying to get in and nobody's letting you in and so you're trying to get the person's attention. You're like, hey, 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 and they're like this and they ain't looking at you, like they kind of looking like this, but you know they see you. But they acting like they're not seeing you because they know as soon as you make eye contact, it's like, please, please, I'll pay you, I'll pay you, come on in, let me in. Because as soon as they see you, now they're responsible to have to make a decision, do I let you in or do I say <laughs> no? Because as soon as we see, now we're responsible for. The same condition can happen with churches oftentimes is that we can walk around in our city and see broken places, but we don't want to see it because if we see it, then we got to do something about it. And I'm just telling you here at OSC, we are going to be a church that is going to open our eyes to see where the problems are so we can bring God's solution into the problems of our city. We're not going to turn a blind eye to it. We're going to look right at it. We're going to address it. We're going to look at all. Come on. I mean, no. Lowest in education is not good. We got to do something about that. People being strung out on addictions is not good. We've got to do something about it. Marriages that are dividing and that can't stay together, we've got to do something about it. Racism is not cool. We got to do something about it. We're going to be a church that unites people, not divides people. We can see the problem, but are you going to do anything about it? And most people want to just turn a blind eye to it. I don't want anyone to see it because as soon as I see it, now I'm responsible for it. God is calling us as a church to open your eyes. Open your eyes. But, but we're nearsighted. All, all we want to do is this. So what does God want us to open our eyes to? Let me give you three things. If you're taking notes, jot this first one down. God wants us to open our eyes to where people are. Open our eyes to where people are. Whether you believe this or not, Jesus is not looking all across the world and just looking at people that are in his churches. 
How many know the Bible says that Jesus' eyes are running to and fro and he's looking also for his lost ones? Y'all know God is way more consumed with the lost ones than the found ones. So good, I got an amen from heaven. <laughs> that was awesome. Is this recorded? We're, we're showing this service. So, <laughs> I didn't. Watch Luke 19, verse 10. Luke 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Why did Jesus come? To seek and to save the lost. Why is Jesus here? To seek and to save his lost. Why did God put OSC in Jennings? To seek and to save the lost. Why did God put you in your neighborhood? To seek and save the lost. The thing is, God has called us to do the seeking, but how many of you know he does the saving? God's called us to do that. How many of you in here have ever lost a wallet, lost the keys, lost a phone? Let's go, let's go to another level. Lost a child. Okay, listen, I have the ultimate one because I've lost my child in my own house. <laughs> Beat that. A number of years ago, Lindsay was off on an errand. I think she went to Walmart to go get a bunch of stuff. And I'm home, and she's like, all right, you, babe, you got them. And how many know, Pastor Bubba tells uh, guys, we don't babysit, we parent our kids, okay? So I was parenting my kids, which I wasn't doing too well, undoubtedly, because my middle son was acting up, and, uh, and I told him, go into your room, I'll deal with you in a little bit. So I'm, you know, getting stuff around the house, doing stuff around the house. 20, 30 minutes goes by, and I'm like, oh, Judah. <laughs> so I go into his room to have a conversation with him, and he's not there. He's gone. So it's like, Judah, Judah, where you at? Judah, Judah, hey. Then how many know when you start going, Judah Joshua? <laughs> you had that middle name, you know, as you start getting serious. Judah Josh, you better show up. And as that's going on, Lindsay comes into the door. Yeah, oh, you already know where this is going. She's like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, just playing hide and go seek with Judah right now, you know. Just, just trying to find him. Judah! Judah! And now it's starting to get, well, now we're starting to get a little frantic mode because now it's been like five minutes. My house was 1,100 square feet, people. Small, three bedrooms, one bath. Not a lot of places to hide. Can't find them, nowhere. So now it's... Now we're getting into kind of full panic mode, going outside, backyard, Judah, going to the front yard, Judah, where are you? Nothing. Lindsay's, okay, Lindsay's, how many know mama's going into like full-on freak-out panic mode? By the way, it was Halloween. So she was like, child molester, child molester, took my child, already pulled up in a van, took my boy, he's gone. I mean, she's freaking. She's about to be on the phone with 911, and we're, we're searching, we're panicking. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment there, we're in full-on panic mode trying to find, you know where you at? And Josiah, my oldest, comes up to me and says, hey, Dad, what's for dinner? <laughs> Which you probably would do. You probably would do that. No, he wouldn't do that. But I want you to imagine what that would be like for that moment. Hey, Dad, what are we eating? Man, I'm starving. My response would be, Either get out of the way or help me find Judah. That's what's for dinner. Let's find 
At that point, Lindsay and I could care less about our other two. It's not that we don't love them, but they're found. I'm looking for, when, when I'm searching for something, I'm not going around looking at all the things I already found. Look at my couch, it looks great. Look at my other kids, that looks good. We got a refrigerator, that's great. Hey, at least in two out of three, that ain't bad, right? No, you're dropping everything, searching everywhere, calling everybody to try to find out. Now, good news is we've, we did eventually find him. <laughs> I still have three kids. And uh, he was hiding under my bed because he was scared of being disciplined, which that's a whole nother topic for another sermon down the road. But he came out. He was like, Dad, I was scared. I was going to get a spanking. I was like, you are now? And everybody's beating you. I'm beating you. Mom's beating you. Josiah's beating you. Joel might even get in on it. Everybody's beating you. So he, he was found, thankfully. But I want you to imagine what it'd be like in the middle of the frantic search for a lost one that the question would be, hey, what's for dinner? Good question, wrong time. Are y'all with me? That exact situation is John 4. It's the exact thing. The people are coming that want to learn about this God. And the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, what's for dinner? Are we eating? You going to eat? Let's eat. And Jesus is like, hey, either get out of my way or help me reach these people. I, I'm not consumed with anything of, of food other than to do what God called me to do. I got some work to finish. We got work to do. And this spiritual nearsightedness can get us so focused on what we need, what we want, that we miss out on what God's trying to do in this place. I wonder how much our prayers sound like that to him. I wonder how much our prayers are to God is about what we want, not what God wants to do. God, I need this, and God, I need a job, and God, would you help me with this, and God, help me with this bill, and God, heal my body, and God, do it. Listen, God wants to meet your needs, but God doesn't want to meet your needs just for you. He wants to meet your needs so you can meet other people's needs. And I think the quicker way of you getting your prayers answered is if you start praying for other people because God always wants to answer your prayers when you're consumed with other people. It's a part of spiritual maturity, by the way, because as a kid, all you can think about is mine, 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 mine. But when you become a teenager and then you get into adulthood, how many know it's got to go from mine, mine, mine to others, 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 others? I wake up in the morning and the first thing that I think about is my kids and my wife. I don't get the privilege of waking up going, what do I want? We have to get kids ready for bed. Got I me mean, get kids ready for school. We got to get out the door. I got to consume my life with other people. But as a kid, they get to wake up and the first thing they think about is, "What's for breakfast?" And that's cool as a kid. But how many know when you grow up, you better grow up. Is everybody with me? And as a church, hey, listen. As a church, I want us to continually, continually, always be about the people outside this church and the ones that are in it. I'm excited you're here. We're going to help you. We're here for you. But it's like a hospital. You don't just hang out in the hospital. It ain't a club. You get in, you get healthy, and then you go out there and you help other people get in and get healthy, and you go out and you get in and you get healthy. Are y'all with me? So this is, the, the church is the only organization that exists for the people that are not yet, there yet. We exist to reach people and build lives. And I want you to hear me. If you're coming to this church because you want it to be all about you, you will be so frustrated with this church. 
But if you want to come to a church that is passionate about reaching people and building lives and having a healing and a hope-filled place for hurting broken people, you're going to love this place. Because we are so consumed with trying to create an environment and create a space where people can meet Jesus. Why did our team spend all week this week, late past midnight, working here to get this kids building? It's not because they didn't have anything else better to do. It's because they were concerned about your kids. Creating a place for your kids and my kids to enjoy it. I'm so thankful for that. The kingdom of God has always been built on people that are not self-consumed. God's mission has always been about what he wants to do to reach and save the lost. Everybody with me? So number one is open your eyes to where people are. Because a part of that is I need you to understand that once you're found, you are now on a search committee. God puts you in divine intersections. I like to put it this way. When you're on your way, God will put people in your way. Let me just say that again. When you are on your way to Walmart, to, I was going to say Piggly Wiggly, but it ain't Piggly Wiggly anymore. Even though I really like it, I still call it Piggly Wiggly. Because I like Jay to call it Piggly Wiggly in his South African accent. And so when you're on your way to work, when you're on your way to school, when you're on your way to whatever you got to do, I just want you to hear me. God will put people in your way. It happens all the time. I, we have a couple in our freedom group right now. And they just, this, this guy shared this story with me this past Thursday in our group, he said, man, I got to share this story with y'all. He said, my wife is, is uh, she, she battled cancer for a while. She's now cancer free, but she's got some things in her shoulder. So she had to go to the hospital to get an MRI. She gets her MRI and she gets out and they notice that there's another lady, an African-American lady, older, that is also getting an MRI. And, and the wife says, man, I just felt like God told me to ask her, do you have cancer? So she said, Pastor Josh, this is totally outside of my comfort zone. But I walked up to the lady and I said, we were in the elevator together, going down to our parking garage, going down to the garage to get our cars. And she said, God told me, ask her, she's got cancer. So she said, I looked over and I said, do you have cancer? She said, the lady started sharing with, yes, I do. She said, um, the diagnosis is not good, all this stuff that's going on. And, and so this lady that's sharing this also had stage three cancer herself. So she just started ministering. They're in the elevator. You know, going down the elevator, just starts ministering. Her and her husband just start kind of ministering to her. And then as the elevator doors are open, they walk out. They say, can we pray with you? Tears going down her eyes. She's like, yeah. So right there in the middle of a parking garage, they start praying with this woman. After they pray for her, she's like, can we have your number? So they get her number, her name. They're exchanging their phone numbers so that they can stay up to date with how she's doing so they can continue to pray with her. That's when you're on your way, God will put people in your way. Amen. Are y'all with me? Yeah. I work out at the, uh, the CrossFit box here. And uh, there's a, uh, probably over a year ago, I was working out. And, you know, when you're working out, the one thing that you're trying to just do is survive. Anybody with me? It's like, I just want to, I just want to, I just want to actually walk out of here. <laughs> so it's just one of those workouts, just really, really hard, really difficult. And I noticed while we were working out, it's kind of, you know, a group workout. I noticed a girl off to the left, like wince in pain. And I, I noticed her walk in the back and I'm like, what? So I just kind of kept working out and I got done. I looked back, she was laying on the ground. And so like, hey, I'm a pastor, you know, I'm supposed to pray for people. <laughs> But I just felt like the Lord was like, you need to go see what's going on. So I walked over there and said, hey, what's, what happened? And she's like, I just 
twinge my back. I have some back issues. I twinge my back. And it's, it's really, really painful. She's crying. I said, can I pray for you? She was like, yeah, yes. So I leaned down and grabbed her hand. She's right there on the little mat. And I leaned down and I prayed over her. And, and that was it. It was just a simple prayer. And uh, I wish I would have said, like, rise from your mat. Go walk. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I should have. That would have been a great man of faith. I should have been. But anyways, that was it. Literally a couple weeks later, that same couple walked into our church doors. Re- reunited their relationship with the Lord. Went through Next Step. He now serves on our Usher's dream team. She serves on our kids. They're in my freedom group right now, and they're some of our best friends. Yeah. And it all started with, just go pray with her. How many of you have ever heard that and you're like, mm-mm, God, mm-mm, nope, mm-mm, nope, mm-mm, mm For that one time, I could also stand up here and tell you a thousand times I missed it. Thousands of times, whether it's been on a plane or with a Walmart checkout clerk where God told me just ask her how her day is to a waitress that treated us badly and I should have stopped and instead of being frustrated with her and being mad, I should have actually realized that she's hurting. But instead, I was just so focused on my food and when I didn't get what I wanted, I've missed so many opportunities. Which leads to number two and that is that you need to open your eyes to who people are. How many know that people can be irritating? Y'all know any people like that? Don't look at them. Don't look at them. Just shake your head and just look straight. Mm-hmm. You ever been hurt by people? I want you to hear me very closely on this. And this is, it's taken a lot of years for me to even get to this place. But realizing that people that hurt you are hurting. Hurt people. Hurt people. So anybody that said something about you that has been hurtful, it's only because they're hurting. Don't take it personal. They're hurting. And they need Jesus to come into that hurt and heal it and help it. Whether it's a marriage that says very hurtful things to each other, you know why they do that? Because they're both hurting. And when you understand that we live in a world where a lot of people are hurting, you just give a lot more grace. Like when someone cuts me off in traffic and I want to be like, ah! just realize like, Hey, maybe they just need to get somewhere too. When someone's just... Y'all understand what I'm saying? Matthew tells us the story of how Jesus was having dinner at at Matthew's house, who was a tax collector, and he was having dinner with tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees show up on the scene and they say, Jesus hanging out with all these guys that... mm, Church people don't hang out with those guys. Why would Jesus, if he's the Savior of the world, why would he be hanging out with these guys? And so he doesn't... They don't ask Jesus, they ask the disciples... And here's the question that they asked the disciples. Go to the next one. They asked the disciples this. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. It's not the healthy, it's the sick. It's funny because I hear from people all the time that walk into our church and they're like, I can't believe, and they fill in the name, such and such goes to this church. I'm like, yeah, Jesus is awesome, isn't it? I would never thought they'd ever be in church. Yeah, because you know what? Those are the ones that Jesus comes for. Which, by the way, in this, I think he's not talking about the tax collectors and sinners. I think the six people is actually the Pharisees. See, because it's one thing. The worst, the worst thing in a church is people, not people who are sick and know they're sick. It's the people who are sick and don't think they are. 
And some of the most sick people are the most religious. Hey, by the way, the most sick people are the ones who crucified Jesus, and they were the religious ones. Y'all know that, right? The tax collectors didn't crucify Jesus. The sinners didn't crucify Jesus. The religious Pharisees crucified Jesus. So, smoke on that. And so, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I'm so sorry. I don't even, I don't even smoke. So, <laughs> and you shouldn't either. Okay, so. This is 11.15, man. This is fun. And so, we got to just open our eyes to to where sick people are. You come up in church and be like, man, I can't believe such and such come to church. You know what they do during the week? Yeah, probably sin. Like, 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 like I do. Maybe it doesn't look like yours. See, for the religious leaders, it was pride. For the tax collectors and sinners, it was, it was, it was out in the, the open for people to see, but the religious guys had just, they were sick on the inside. The other guys, they were sick on the outside. You could see it. And like I said, most, some of the worst sick people are the ones that are inside that you can't see it. And they come to church, you're like, how are you doing? Like, blessed. You're like, you sure about that? Because you look constipated. <laughs> this is the truth, isn't it? They hide behind the religiousness. They know how to all to say the right things, but they go home and they treat their wife badly. And they go home and they can't, their kids don't want to talk to them. But they can come to church and put on the show. Come on, am I preaching good to somebody over here? Okay. Pick up those toes. I'm telling you, this is myself. I I think God has come. He's come. Listen, this is a hospital. Are y'all with me? This is a hospital. People are going to bleed on this carpet. If your marriage is not okay, that's okay. If you're struggling with an addiction, that's okay. If you're having depression, that's okay. If you thought about suicide, that's okay. If you've cut yourself this week, that's okay. If you cuss somebody out, that's okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. And I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Yeah. I love Jesus because Jesus meets you right where you are, and he welcomes you as you are, but he loves you enough not to let you stay as you are. This is what our God does. So number three is you got to open your eyes to what people need. you got to open your eyes to what people need. I love the story of Daniel. I'm going to do a series on Daniel, hopefully maybe this year. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know the stories of him. They lived in a a pagan culture called Babylon. Very, very pagan. More pagan than even what we are in as as an American nation. Very, very pagan. And yet, Daniel had this incredible ability to stand for truth and still be very influential. And it seems like most churches nowadays either stand for truth or they got to stand for grace, but they can't stand for both. It's like they got to stand for truth and they got to like beat people with the Bible. You need to do this, and if you don't do this, you turn or burn, and you know, you get right or you're going to get left. You know, it's like, oh my God. And like, it drives people to fear. Like, you know, listen, if you've had a bad week, you don't need to come to church and feel more bad about yourself. You already feel bad enough. Why, why, should, we, why should a preacher try to make you feel more bad? And feeling more bad doesn't change anything. So you got that side, you got churches that are just hammer you with the Bible and you leave more convicted and more condemned and more worse than you walked in. Or you got the other side where it swings to the other pendulum where it's like all grace and they throw out the Bible. Like, oh, we don't need the Bible, we'll just love one another. Like, let's just love, just come, just love and it's no big deal. And yeah, you want to sleep with whoever you want? Yeah, that's fine. Oh, you want to just do whatever you want? Yeah, that's fine because Jesus would love you. He wouldn't send people to hell. Well, that's a lie. 
Because if that's not if that's the truth, then why did Jesus die the most horrific death on the cross? Because sin is real. It divides and it breaks and it shatters. And I love because Daniel was full of grace, but he was also full of truth. A lot like a guy named Jesus. John chapter 1 says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And it was full of grace and truth. So let me give you this and I got to wrap up. Truth without grace is mean. Truth without grace is mean. If you're just going to be truthful with people, but you have no grace, you are mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. If it's all love and all, let's just forgive. And there's no truth. It's meaningless. There's nothing to stand on. But grace and truth is medicine. It's medicine. Our culture needs grace and truth. They need to know it's okay to not be okay. They need to know that that's grace. But they also need to know that it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. That's the truth, that Jesus came. He died a death for you. His spirit rose him from the grave. That same spirit can live on the inside of you, and that same grace every day will not only save you from your sins, it will empower you to live a victorious lifestyle. So I want to show you how this story ends, and then we're done says in John chapter 4, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what? Because of the woman's testimony. I need you to hear me on this. This is, this is powerful. I want you to tune in this last part, okay? We're almost done, I promise. Many Samaritans in that town believed in who? Who's him? Jesus. Because of the woman's testimony. Now remember, her testimony ain't pretty. Five husbands, and still shacking up with another guy. So she's lived a pretty, pretty crazy lifestyle. Which tells me that our story, no matter how jacked up it is, is the greatest tool God's ever given you. It's the most powerful thing that you have. Actually, the more jacked up you are, the more God wants to use you. It's the cool part of God. And if you don't think you're jacked up, then you're religious. Watch. Here's the woman's testimony. Ready? He told me everything I ever did. Mic drop. She didn't go into a bunch of stuff. He just told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, because of the woman's testimony, they urged Jesus to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Now watch the next. This is so cool. This is so cool. And because now of... His words. So it started with her words. But when they came and heard him for themselves, many more got saved. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard it for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. Listen to me closely. If we want to see this region reach for Christ, which I believe that's our mandate, not only this region, but beyond. You want to see your family. You want to see your neighborhood. You want to see your school. You want to see your workplace. I love hearing what God's doing in our workplaces. It all starts here. Ready? It starts here. You sharing your story. Notice this whole revival in this town started when this woman went back to town and just started sharing what God did in her. 
Then she came back with the people and said, hey, hey, listen, I want to invite you to OSC. I want to invite you to the place where I met Jesus. And so she's inviting. She got her whole row filled up. All right, Jesus, tell us. And they get saved because of her testimony, but then they hear from Jesus himself, and they said, your testimony was good, but his is amazing. And so they give their lives to him, but it started with hers. Are y'all seeing the domino here? Which tells me this, ready? Okay, listen. God won't save your friends and your family till you speak up. You speak up. You share. The gospel is the good news. You know what good news has to be? Shared. Got to talk about it. Got to talk about it. But here's the cool thing. You love talking about the things that you love. I've seen y'all's Facebook. I know what you love. I just watch you long enough and you talk about what you love. So I know you love your cosmetics. I see it all the time. I know. I know you love that firstborn baby. We got enough pictures, okay? We've seen them all. Why? Because you love it. You love talking about it. Anybody here love Jesus? Let's talk about him. So here's the commission. Ready? For the next two weeks leading up to Easter, let's talk all about Jesus. Share your story. Talk about what God's done in your life. Just Let's just go all out. I'm with you. Because here's the deal. When people hear your story and they connect with your realness, they go, if God could free him from drugs... He can free me from drugs. If God could heal their marriage, he can heal my marriage. If God did it for them, he can do it for me. So here's your last plank. Ready? Here's your last one. Do for somebody else what God has done for you. Do for somebody else what God has done for you. Last two questions, and you'll see them right there on your notes, and this is an action. Who do I need to share my story with this week? And who do I need to invite to church this week? For so many people, it's amazing how many people that have come to church but have never invited someone to it. If you say, I love my church, get them here. And here's the cool thing. You're set up with Easter. Easter is a setup for you. It's like a T-ball. If anybody, 85% of people go to church on Easter, they're just waiting for you to invite them. And so this is what we did. We created space. So we have five services now for Easter. Good Friday, Saturday, and then our three Sundays. So you have plenty of opportunities to come and be a part of that. Father, right now, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you today for all that you're doing in us and through us. God, we just submit this day to you. God, we, we repent if our eyes have been on us. God, if we've been spiritually nearsighted, Open our eyes. Open our eyes. God, help us tomorrow as we go back to work. Open our eyes. As we go to our schools and our classrooms, open our eyes. As we go back into our neighborhoods, open our eyes. God, help us to see people as you see them. Help us to have a heart for people as you have a heart for people. Help us to be bold to share our stories, whether maybe it's on social media this week or, God, whether it's in person with somebody or a text message or a Facebook message or, God, however that may play out, God, just give us the boldness this week to share our stories. God, I pray that you would fill this house. May there not be a seat left. May you fill this house with people who need you. 
God, that you would save marriages, you would save souls, you would save families. God, you would rescue the downtrodden. You would bring hope and healing to those who are broken and hurting. God, may we continually be a church that reaches people and builds lives. God, we thank you today that you've reached us. Your grace was sufficient for us. Now, if you're here in this place and you go, I don't know Jesus like that, but I want to. I want to know him. The Bible says it's being born again. Just like you have a natural birthday, that you can have a spiritual birthday, that you give your life over to God, and God comes and he makes you new. He gives you, he makes your spirit come alive. And it's simple. It's a gift, actually, that God gives us. Salvation is a gift. You don't earn it, and you didn't deserve it, but he gives it to you because he loves you. He came and he died a death. If you will, A, admit that you're a sinner, B, believe that Jesus came and he lived the life that you and I couldn't live. He died to death and you and I deserve to die. And if you will see, confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life, that you can have a relationship with God like that. If that's you in this place, you go, I want that. I've never prayed for that. I want that. If that's you right here today, God is seeking and saving you. He is knocking on the door of your heart. You know it. You feel it. On the count of three, I want you to shoot your hands up. One, two, three. If that's you all across this room, come on, be bold for Jesus today. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Come on, eleven. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Come on, Jesus, we love you. Come on, I just want you to just declare this with me. Let's say this out, Lord. Today, I commit my life to you. You are my Lord and Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. You lived the life I couldn't live and died the death that I deserve to die. You took my shame, my guilt, and my sins on the cross. And you paid for them. And you rose again to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I surrender my life to you from this day forward. In Jesus' name.